0: Programming notes episodes, the general concept is that you can get an extended summary of episodes if you decide that you'd rather have that than listen to the episodes themselves, as well as some notes about what's going on in the community or how you can be helpful and useful in the community. notes for the week of February 19th, 2023. So quick announcement here is starting the week of March 5th. I'm going to move to two episodes and a summary episode each week. Sorry, this is just kind of killing me doing three. So the rotation is looking like every three weeks will be this kind of same set. So week one will be a week of interview and a panel. Week two would be a week of uh, an interview and a mesh musing, and then week three would be an interview and a jamax corner. Uh, this will let me, you know, mean that I can actually start writing some stuff again, and I will actually get to take kind of care of myself and, and stuff with my move to Europe that's coming up. My call to action for this week is to get in touch with me about what panels you want to hear. And the other call to action is to ask in the Slack a a very specific question. There are far too many generic questions floating about. Get very specific and see if there is a reaction, if you can get a conversation going. So what's on tap for this week? On Monday, we have episode 196, Data is a Team Sport, Learning to Collaborate Through Data. This is an interview with Andrew Pease. There's some interesting insights into how companies can actually transition more and more to being data-driven instead of looking at kind of that before and after. There's a lot of kind of stories of how Andrew, you know, and his time at Salesforce and and at at other places has really collaborated with um, companies to help them get to a better spot and kind of what are some of the things to look out for and some ways to combat them if your organization is, is really at the beginning of your journey and is really uh, struggling kind of moving towards that data-driven aspect. On Tuesday, it's episode 197, Explorers Needed, Experts Not, and then in parentheses, Yet, which is Mesh Musings number 44. So this is about why we need people blazing new trails and being bold instead of the... Thing that I'm starting to see of people being overly focused on fine tuning exactly how to do data mesh well. We aren't there yet. The explorers are more valuable, and it's okay to wait on the sidelines until you're ready. If you feel like you need to only listen to people that are experts, they just don't exist yet. So if you're waiting for that kind of here is exactly how we tackled these you know twenty challenges or whatever, nobody has that now. Um, I don't think it'll really ever be all that relevant, but there's a lot of people that want to wait for that. And you know what? Wait. It's okay. Then on Friday, we have episode 198. How do we make data contracts easy, scalable, and meaningful? An interview with Ananth Pekodurai. So part this is part of my ongoing rampage and uh, thing about data contracts, contracts. Inth and I discussed what's actually needed to do data contracts well and why at least in my view we need kind of a thing wrapping around it of a data sharing agreement you know let the contracts take care of the super specific details but we need to get in the habit of actually collaborating around data not trying to automate away that important human conversations your systems will never be able to get all of the nuance, or if they do, then they can fully replace humans. I think from all the things we've seen with ChatGPT, they're nowhere near that right now, and that's kind of the most advanced thing <laughs> in general in the AI space for a, a lot of people, you know, consumer-facing at least. So um, there's a lot of good things in there, and, and again, you can listen to me rant and rampage. So with that, on to the extended summaries for Andrew and Ananth's episodes. Quick note on this one before we jump in. Andrew is talking about organizations that are doing data mesh or not, right? So a lot of this we'll be talking about central IT and kind of how that works with everything. So take that with uh, the kind of that lens and that perspective. Extended summary for episode 196, data is a team sport, learning to collaborate through data. Interview with Andrew Pease. So in this episode, I interviewed Andrew, who's the field CTO of North Europe at Salesforce. To be clear though, he was only representing his own views in the episode. Andrew started off by discussing the general way that organizations evolve. It's pretty natural for most to evolve into silos and the larger the organization, the deeper the divides between the silos and the harder it is to bridge those divides. With Conway's law, IT systems and approaches also then often develop into silos. There is a lot of required intentionality to prevent evolving into silos or lesson divides that have already formed. And there is kind of no quote unquote silver bullet architecture to overcome the challenges silos create or undo those silos. One of the big dreams of being data driven is putting timely and actionable data, you know, kind of that, what do you want to tell them in the workflows of business people? But according to Andrew, many organizations attempting to do that look at it as an all or nothing kind of goal. And that's just not reasonable. You won't get it, you know, quote unquote perfect at the start. And that's okay. It doesn't ha- make it not worth doing. And as part of the process, it can be important to reiterate that data is there to help not replace people. AI should mean augmented intelligence, it's there to help the human in the loop to be better. There are two major opposing forces regarding data quality at Andrew's view. First, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. So your data quality has to be up to a certain level before showing it to potential consumers. But conversely, the only way to get to actual data quality, essentially what matters, why it matters, and what quality levels are acceptable, is to get data in front of consumers and then iterate towards the required quality. Feedback loops are crucial to actual data quality, so you can optimize for what matters. Your data consumers must understand that data quality is a team sport, so they need to participate too. Andrew brought up his concept of quote-unquote statistics trauma when discussing improving people's data fluency. Essentially, many may have a bitter taste from past statistics or math and or data-related work or school. So, to get execs more data driven, you need to sensitize them to data, but in a careful approach. That falls to the chief data officer, and it can be challenging, but is quite rewarding when it works. It's as much about communication as anything else in data, which is far more communication than a lot of people think or maybe might even want it to be. In data, Andrew believes there needs to be far more bi directional conversations. Yeah, I fully agree. (laughs) Data consumers need to tell data producers what they need, and that can include data that doesn't exist yet, so the producers need to start capturing it. So the earlier a data consumer can tell a data producer about their needs, the more likely they will get what they need or what they want down the line. Data Mesh helps there as well, because it's not the central team trying to understand and take requests to the producers. By cutting out the data team in the middle, you have a better chance to get to what data consumers want more quickly. But we can't lose sight of something that many seem to overlook. We can't just inform data producers of what we want them to produce and maintain. We need to properly incentivize and enable them to do so. This comes up in a lot of episodes. In Andrew's view, there is obviously value in collecting feedback on what data is viewed as valuable. But you know, Katie Bauer talked about what's, uh, what's valued is not necessarily valuable, and what's valuable is not necessarily valued, right? So again, it's going to have some bias. Essentially, it's valued but might not be valuable. So you should develop more concrete ways to measure what data work is useful and valuable. We should track what is being used, but also how well what we thought would be valuable actually performed. That way we might better know what additional data might drive incremental value. Your feedback loops should include both quantitative and qualitative measurement where possible. If you make ultimatums around data usage, you're either with us or as a data user or you're against us. You won't get buy-in, according to Andrew. And other guests as well mandates just don't get the buy in some people believe so you need to work to figure out why someone is not leveraging data again make it less intimidating make the data make the questions even around it and and make it rewarding to actually engage with data if you threaten people do this or we'll fire you you will simply get people adhering to the letter instead of the spirit we want to make using data useful and fun right gamifying learning about data and data hackathons are two great ways to accomplish that that Andrew brought up. So around data, if we want kind of what Andrew called a yin-yang synergy between business and IT, both parties have to meet the other more than halfway in Andrew's experience. Both sides have to be willing to partner to improve. There isn't a silver bullet way to accomplish it, but embedded IT in the business and vice versa can certainly help. You could rotate people across different business units, et cetera. However, it's very important if you are in a decentralized organization to make sure you share best practices. Andrew said the most complex, you know, quote unquote, the most complex system that we have in our organizations isn't a computer, it's the people who are operating the computers. There's a major change in the way our brains work between learning something and trying to get a point across. Some people are good at switching between those quickly, such as in a meeting, but many aren't, and it's important to not leave them behind. So communication is crucial to get right, and think about the broad group you're trying to work with. Sometimes data should be brought into the discussion to make a point, but sometimes it should be purely about increasing data fluency. It's easy to try to focus on hiring for data skills in many roles, but really, every organization should at least consider data training as part of a new employee training, according to Andrew. Obviously, don't forget existing employees too, but immersing people in data, especially in the data of the organization from the start, will pay off a lot in the long run. And then a quick tidbit to wrap up on, data consumers need to understand what is actually possible with data. You know, Andrew talked about there was one client that he was working with that wanted lead scoring based on literally a person's name, not even their company name and their email address. That's not a reasonable request. That's not going to get you great information. So work with them to understand what is actually possible. Extended summary for episode 199. How do we make data contracts easy, scalable, and meaningful? An interview with Anant Pakuldurai. In this episode, I interviewed Anant, who's the author of Data Engineering Weekly, the newsletter, and the creator of the open source product, uh, Schemata. A quick personal note before we jump in. In this episode, we discuss schemata quite a bit, but for me, it's open source offering, and, and I think it's... Got a lot of kind of interesting aspects to it, whether you use that or not. But I think we need to look at things like this for working collaboratively around data. So, Anant started by sharing a bit about his background. Despite writing the Data Engineering Weekly newsletter, he sees his experience as somewhat between a data engineer and a data analyst. That gave him the ability to see the full end to end journey of how data was handled at many different organizations. He consistently saw that analytical data outside of the application scope was an afterthought because developers were focused singularly on their application, not how it fit into the greater scheme, especially how their data on the analytics side fit into the greater scheme. For Anant, the data marketplace is a useful concept for many organizations when thinking about data contracts. It can be a bit more of a data bazaar than like Amazon in certain ways as there can be a bit of collaborative negotiation. Oh, you don't have XYZ to offer. What about ABC? Could you do that? We need standardized ways to discuss and document data to make it far easier to share data or at least start the conversation off from an informed standpoint when collaborating you know, between producers and consumers to get the most useful data created and shared for those consumers. We need programmatic ways for producers to share what data they have available, including their expectations like SLAs and consumers to request that, you know, data they want with their expectations. So personal note for me, it's crucial to understand that data contracts are less about the actual contractual terms and more about the establishment of a relationship that is covered through the contract terms. There are expectations in that contract, and those are very important, right, that I am not belittling that. But the contract isn't the entire relationship between the data producer and the data consumer, or essentially it shouldn't be. Essentially, the relationship includes the contract, but just having SLAs will not resolve many of the issues people are having around data contracts and data sharing. Similar to something Chris Ricamini mentioned in episode 51, Schemata is looking to provide feedback to producers about what broke downstream when they made a change or more valuably, what will break before a commit is deployed. Data producers haven't had much of this feedback historically, such as if you make this change, it will break your data contract uh, expectations on the schema front because of blah, right? That's super, super valuable. But Schemata is also designed for producers to see how well what they are offering or what they might offer fits with what other domains are offering, right? When they're thinking about how well does my domain or potential new data product integrate into the overall organizational data sharing landscape, right? Is this going to be difficult if I, if I structure it this way to integrate it with other data or what all can I integrate it with? And is that going to be valuable at the organizational level? You know, that whole reuse concept. On consumer-driven testing in data contracts and agreements, Anant thinks there are two aspects, structural and behavioral. Structure is what you'd expect and what most people discuss in data contracts, mainly schema validation. Is it backwards compatible? Is it strongly typed? Is the required metadata complete? Is there a registered owner? Are the SLAs defined and complete, et cetera. The behavioral is similar to what Abe Gong talked about in episode 65, about what are the actual expectations? Does the data behave the way the consumers expect, such that it can actually be leveraged for their use case? A key widespread reason for consumer-driven testing is producers rarely understand how data consumers will use their data or are already using their data right that's a big one of i can't create a test when i don't even know how somebody's going to use it or oh wow this person is already using it i didn't even know that thus that behavioral testing can inform the producer along with actual human to human conversations about how consumers will be or are leveraging their data One general issue many teams have, according to Anand, is the consumer doesn't really understand the cost or complexity of doing something around data creation, such as the producer of one domain might not store the user ID. So to get user ID is an expensive database call. So a consumer creating a pull request instead of uh, demand or request or requirement for data means you can start from a deeper conversation about what the data will be used for and why it's structured like it's proposed in the PR, right? That consumer again can say, this is what I want and this is how I want it structured. And that starts a better conversation. This is also much more in a developer in the domain's workflow of using Git. It's it's like what most software engineers use instead of just like kind of what uh, a lot of data people use, which is JIRA, right? <laughs> it's all just far less vague, even if the initial proposals that somebody does via the, the, the pull request is infeasible. A producer has far more information about how the data might be used to start to iterate towards a workable solution. According to Ananth, many people looking at Schemata have seen the need for years, but there hasn't been a great way to implement what I call making the implicit explicit around data sharing and data contracts. And this isn't a typical problem at a small company. But once you get to a certain scale, the need for decentralized data modeling starts to become very evident. But with fully decentralized data modeling, it's pretty easy to put yourself in a bad spot because there is no collaboration layer. So you create data silos, that things that just don't interoperate well, much like thinking federated governance, versus decentralized governance in data mesh. Data mesh is about federated, so you decentralize the parts that should be decentralized, but you don't decentralize all the things. Data modeling should be at the data product level, but we should have an eye for how that actually fits into the greater organization. Schemata has a concept of a core domain that then every incremental entity or event you model, it will automatically assess how well the new event or entity is connected to that core domain. The theory is to quickly figure out how well what you are building will connect into the greater whole of the organization through the core domain. It gives you quick feedback on what is in process and you can easily add more fields to uh, better match the core domain if a producer wants it. It isn't a blocker. It's giving feedback to creating to someone creating a pull request, data producer or consumer, about how well the resulting data model would fit in the organizational data landscape. You know there is some uh, complications from my side about having a core domain, but we can get into that in a separate thing. Ananth discussed how data creation is really a human in the loop challenge. Autonomous data creation is just not very valuable now and might not ever be. We need a collaborative platform to create data that is truly valuable and understandable, but especially usable. The crucial aspect is to make a tool that integrates into people's workflows instead of yet another screen that further fractures the data management experience. Schemata is trying to be kind of like SNCC, automatically scanning and giving people actionable advice, but with little effort on their part. Where are your likely pain points? How could you address them? You can more easily set a goal of remediation or improvement and figure out how well you are doing. What are the top two to three things you could focus on to make the data you share that much more valuable, that much better? A big thing many overlook in creating data contracts is about defining the value and or cost of something happening, according to Anna, It's about getting people to the table to discuss something concrete and make sure people are on the same page. Instead of requirements, it's a collaborative discussion. Alla Hale, in her episode 122, talked about at, you know, every conversation, you should have something to show the other party, whether a full prototype or a post-it note with a little drawing. So getting to clear contract and agreement is is far easier if you have a system that defines an owner, defines the parameters you need, makes sure the implicit aspects are explicit so bar- both parties can fully agree, right? When you're thinking about data contracts, the contract isn't the point, but it's still crucially important and it can really make it so that you're not going to overlook a lot of things that, that it's just uh, pretty easy to overlook in the way that we share data with each other. One thing Ananth and I as well keep running across are stealth data consumers, creating one-sided data contracts. Essentially, the consumer has created their consumer side testing and is consuming from, you know, a data asset or a data product, but the data producer has no idea they are consuming that that data or why. Many don't even really do the testing contract model to protect themselves at all. So those consumers are just kind of at the whim of what might break upstream. The first the producer hears about their that, you know, consumer's consumption is when something breaks for the consumer. With schemata, at least here is a contract in place and stealth data consumers just to have to inherit existing uh, contractual bounds, right? I, I personally, I hate stealth anything in data. Let the producer know or they will potentially make breaking changes that could be prevented if they were just aware or they might be able to give you way more value. Again, Mesh Musings 43 if you want to hear my rant on a lot of this. According to Ananth, we can really learn a lot from the DevOps movement that has become more the platform engineering movement on the microservices side. If we try to per- push ownership to domains, data, you know, or data producers without the tooling to help them verify they comply with governance and that things are working okay, that's a lot of extra work on the data producer end. That's why we are seeing so damn much pushback from domains about not wanting to own their data. It's just way too much of an ask. We aren't giving them the capabilities, we're giving them the responsibilities. Data producers just don't have enough information about what might be an issue when they try to make a change and it causes unnecessary friction. We need to make both the producer and consumer more productive so that people can develop and deploy without tons of manual intervention. Far too many teams are using tooling to solve single problems. And while that one-off tool helps address a singular issue, it creates an even more disjointed data management workflow in Anon's view. It's easy to focus too much on the spot challenge instead of the overall, the overarching challenges in data management, You know that holistic process. Tooling fragmented with cloud, and it made sense as we figured out new approaches and patterns, and VCs were quite free with their money, but we need to think about the whole process as one again now. Jamak has mentioned this multiple times as well, as have I. It's really important to think about what are you actually trying to accomplish and the overall user experience and all of that instead of just trying to solve every little thing with an incremental tool. It creates all sorts of friction and pain that that just are not necessary